Hi, everybody. I'm Bill, and I'm an alcoholic. Hi, Bill. It's pretty good. Uh, I'm really uh, honored to be here and speak tonight, share a little bit of my experience, strength, and hope. I have one story to tell, so that's one thing I have learned in the few years I've been sober is honesty. And I hope you get a little bit of, of, out of what I have to say. I see a few familiar faces here, uh, people that I've met throughout the years, my sobriety and various AA activities. It's good to see you, and I certainly see a lot of friends out here. I had my last drink of alcohol on uh, September 9th of 1981 in <laughs> down in Lewistown, Montana, and uh, I didn't know it was my last drink of alcohol at the time. In fact, if somebody would have told me at that time that it was my last drink, I would have said, I'll drink to that. <laughs> I'd gone to Lewistown to uh, spend a little time with my sister and brother-in-law, and essentially to run away from a brother unpleasant situation that I had in Missoula, Montana. Uh, I, I, I wasn't like you. I didn't lose any wives. I didn't lose any wives either. They all lost me. <laughs> and I was in the process that time of, at that time of being lost. And uh, my life was falling apart, and I didn't have a clue as to why it was falling apart, but I did know a couple of things. I knew that if I could get my wife back, and or if I could find a suitable, suitable replacement, and continue on with my pattern that everything would be okay. Anyway, I'd gone down to Lewistown to have a little bit of fun and a little reprieve from uh, what had been going on in my life. I remember walking to the refrigerator at 8 o'clock in the morning, and I had a, uh, a rule that I never drank before noon, but I knew it was noon somewhere in the world. <laughs> and that's where my drinking was at that point in time. You know, I'd kind of digressed from that never drinking before noon. And I began to drink, and I drank for three solid days, and then... Uh, it was one of those drunks where you drink and drink and drink and you never get drunk. And what I can remember about that <clears throat> last drunk of mine was, was the fact that there was this incomparable sense of incompleteness in me that I just, that alcohol finally just wouldn't take away. And uh, I was alcoholic from the first time I picked up my first drink. There's a great description in the doctor's opinion in the big book, and uh, it fits me so well. It said, men and women drink essentially because they like the effect produced by alcohol. And from the very first time I picked up a drink of alcohol, I loved the effect that it produced. And I loved the effect that alcohol produced all the way up and even through that last drunk. And even though the sensation was so elusive, after a while I couldn't differentiate the truth from the false. The only life that I knew was my alcoholic life. And uh, I was restless, I was irritable, and I was discontent until I could experience a sense of ease and comfort that was brought about by taking a few drinks. And that's my, that's my 17 years of drinking in a nutshell. Uh, I did a lot of things that I'm not particularly proud of, certainly a lot of misunderstandings uh, on the part of, of some people, and uh, they just misunderstood my intentions. I was a man who had the best of intentions, I, I, was a, I was a disciple of Leave it to Beaver. I always wanted my life to be just like that. I wanted to get married, wanted to have a wife, wanted to have kids, wanted to have a job, wanted to be responsible, wanted to be a nice guy. And I was all those things until I took a drink. And then I became so unpredictable you never knew what was going to happen to me. Sometimes I'd be the life of the party. Uh, other times, I'd, more often than not, I became Don Juan. I was a great romantic. Uh, much to the much to the dismay of my wives, and uh, 
Sometimes I become uh, uh, a Dr. Jekyll and a Mr. Hyde. You know, you could never predict what I was going to be like. But again, the, the sensation that alcohol produced in my life was so elusive that I couldn't differentiate the truth from the faults, and my alcoholic life became the only, <clears throat> the only way of living. Uh, as I said, I took my last drink in, in uh, Lewistown, Idaho, on September 9th of 1981. Went back to Missoula in the hopes of uh, either putting my, my uh, marriage back together or I had a follow-up, getting her straightened out enough that, you know, if, if plan A didn't work, maybe I could have plan B in place. I was a smart guy, you know. I always, I always liked to have options. And I wasn't, but I always wanted to be honorable. Again, remember, my best of intentions. I always wanted to be a good guy. People just didn't understand, and they didn't follow my script too awfully well. I went back to Missoula, and uh, obviously my wife wanted nothing to do with me. Uh, I'd pretty well worn out my welcome at the at that home. The hardest part about that was is I had a two-year-old daughter who I truly loved more than life itself, although apparently I didn't love her more than I loved alcohol. If you would have asked me at the time, I would have said, well, yeah, that's ridiculous. I mean, Heather means more to me than anything, anything in this world. Uh, well, then why aren't you living at home? Well, it's because her mother doesn't understand me, and, and uh, she's not a very forgiving uh, and patient person. And I could have come up with all kinds of reasons. None of it really had to do with me. And that, was, that had always been my downfall. You know, my problem was, and the big book describes it so appropriately, that I was selfish and self-centered. I was driven by a hundred forms of fear, self-seeking, self-delusion, and self-pity. And oftentimes, uh, I stepped on the toes of my fellows and they retaliated, seemingly without provocation. And, I, and that, that's where I was in my life, and that's how I lived my whole life. Always wanting to be the good guy wanting to be a, you know, a model citizen, a model husband, and just never being able to quite get there and blaming the world and everybody in it for what was wrong with me. Every once in a while, taking some token responsibility. You know, every once in a while, I'd even step over a line that I'd set for myself, and I'd have to say, well, yeah, maybe I was a little bit wrong, and I, I promise you next time, I promise you next time I'll be okay. In fact, I was a real sorry kind of a guy. I was sorry a lot. Yeah, I remember, in fact, one of the last times I was in, 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 in that home, I can remember coming out of the bathroom, and because I was so sick, and this was pretty much status quo from the first time I got drunk, I was so sick, sick I couldn't walk, so I'm on my hands and knees, and I'm crawling down this hallway. God only knows what I'd done the night before. Obviously, it was a Lulu. My poor wife is standing at the end of that hall, and I can, see, I can just see this so clearly, hands on her hips, tears streaming down her cheeks, and she looks at me with all the hate and contempt and hurt and pain that an Al-Anon can deliver to an alcoholic. And I'm going, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I am so sorry. And she says, that's right, Bill. She said, you're the sorriest SOB that I've ever seen in my entire life. And that was my, pretty much the beginning of the end. And, and that's where my sorries had gotten to me. Uh, anyway, I'd gone back to Missoula, Montana. This girl that I was dating, uh, just in case my wife didn't take me back, had a little problem with sticking needles in her arm. And I knew once I got her to see the light, you know, that once she realized that that wasn't such a good thing to do, we were going to live happily ever after and, and uh, things were going to be, everything was going to be okay. Well, she overdosed. I got her into a, into a uh, treatment center in Missoula. One of the rules of the treatment center was is that you couldn't drink or you couldn't have alcohol on your breath when you went up there. Well, that was no big deal to me. I was one of those kind of drinkers that I could go a week, two weeks at a time. 
if, if I needed to, if there was sufficient reason for me not to, not to drink. So I started going up to this treatment center in the hopes of building this budding young uh, romance and, and uh, knowing that it was going to be, you know, the end-all, be-all for the rest of my life. And uh, they had AA meetings there. And I started going to some of those AA meetings just, you know, to kind of cement the relationship. I mean, I was pretty much willing to do whatever she thought she needed to do in order to kind of be accepted into her life. I was pretty good. I was pretty good at that. Uh, should have been a car salesman. I hope there's no car salesman in here. <laughs> Forgive me. <laughs> just, just a joke. <laughs> Anyway, I started going to some AA meetings, and, uh, you know, amazing, amazing. I began to hear some things that started to hit home with me. I still didn't realize I was an alcoholic. I still didn't realize that my drinking was abnormal. I still thought at that point in time that, that my drinking was kind of my fun time, and, and I had no idea that my life, had, you know, alcoholism and the way that I lived had become so normal to me, and I could go on and on and on with all the insane things that happened to me when I drank that would point to the contrary. And I discounted for, for all of those years, 17 years, I discounted every one of those events. And uh, anyway, I started going to AA meetings, and I heard some things that began to hit home. Needless to say, this budding young relationship didn't come to fruition, and, and uh, she kind of headed one direction, and I thought, well, maybe I can still weasel my way back into my wife's life. I mean, I was always working the angles. You know, I was always looking for something something to fill up that emptiness inside of me. And that's the thing that, I, that if, if, you know, it says in the big book that, that our stories and what got us here really aren't the thing that binds us together. Because we all have different stories. We all never had a DUI, never got caught. And, and a lot of things that didn't happen to you never happened to me. Probably a lot of things that happened to me never happened to you. But the thing that has us, the thing that binds us all together is a common solution. And that we can all agree on. I said, you know, the solution that I have in my life, I know without a doubt, is the same solution that each of you has in your life tonight. And it's certainly the reason that I'm standing up here uh, sober and relatively sane, you know, given the day of the week and the hour of the day. But anyway, <clears throat> back to this, back to this uh, brief encounter. I started going to AA meetings, and I kept going back to AA meetings for two reasons. The first reason being was that I was so doggone lonely that even an AA meeting for an hour a day seemed like it was better than what I had to go to outside of those rooms. And there were a few people in that meeting that took the time to come up to me after the meeting, stick their hand out, introduce themselves, ask me to go for a cup of coffee. And uh, I could fill up a noon meeting time, and I could fill up an evening meeting time. And in between, I could hang out at the Alano Club, and I, just, I didn't have to be with myself. I didn't have to be with those insane, obsessive thoughts that kept driving me. I didn't have to be alone with that horrible emptiness that was permeated my my whole being and if you would ask me to have described all of this at the time I couldn't have I just knew that that there was something really missing in my life and that AA or what I heard in those meetings and the people that I that, that introduced themselves to me and that I became friends with in those meetings 
seemed to be kind of filling something up. And then there was one other thing, too. I remember early on in a meeting after this budding young romance of mine had had, had, uh, had dissolved itself, I remember hearing, you know, if you want what we have and are willing to go to any length to get it, then you're ready to take certain steps. And I looked around that room and I said, well, yeah, she's not too bad. She's not too bad. I said, yeah, they got something I want, and I'm willing to go to any length to get it, so maybe I'll keep coming back. And that, I hate to say that, but that was another reason I kept coming back to AA. Fortunately, after about two months of sobriety, I had a fellow come up to me and said, Bill, he says, you're a great guy, he says, but you're in desperate need of some help. He said, do you have a sponsor? And I said, uh, no, what's a sponsor? So he sat down with me, and he proceeded to tell me what a sponsor was. And uh, he asked, he, in fact, well, he didn't ask if I wanted him. He told me that he was going to be my temporary sponsor. And he said, there's a few things that we're gonna, you're going to need to do here. He said, and you may fight and you may balk, but eventually you'll end up doing them because I know what the outcome's going to be if you don't. And we started getting together. At his house. First of all, he said, you know, forget about if we have, you know, what you want thing. He says, that's, you just better forget that because that's not going to be a party, part of the routine, Bill. That was a pretty tough one for me to let go of. But he said, first of all, he says, you can't drink. I said, well, that's fine. I haven't had a drink for, you know, two, three months now, and I'm feeling like I'm a part of this. And and uh, and uh, I said, I've read the first 164 pages of the big book, and I've worked all 12 steps. <laughs> and I'm and I'm really, I really got this. And I said, once a few things come together in my life, everything's going to be okay, you know. And I'm working on those things. And, and uh, he kind of smiled, and, and anyway, we started on the great adventure. And he sat down with me one night, and we opened the big book, and we started the preface. And over a period of months, we went through it page by page by page. And uh, he said, you know, it isn't going to be a matter of just your willingness to read. There's going to be some actions that you're going to have to take. He said, you're going to have to get out, you're going to have to... Uh, Develop a relationship with a power greater than yourself because you're absolutely, you need to understand you're absolutely incapable of managing anything in your life without some kind of help. You find that power. Then you're going to have to make a decision to turn your will and your life over to the care of that power or that God as you understand him. And of course, that understanding has changed a multitude of times in the, in the 21 plus years that I've been sober. Then he said, you're going to have to sit down with a pen, paper, and you're going to have to do an inventory. And he said, the next thing you do is that we, uh, we're going to sit down and we're going to talk about what's on that paper. Then you're going to get ready to have those defects removed. Then you're going to ask God to remove them. Then you're going to make a list of people you've harmed. Then you're going to start on the process of making amends to all those people. And then every day the rest of your life, you're going to continue to take personal inventory. And when you're wrong, promptly admit it. You're going to continue to improve your conscious contact with God as you understand him. And you're going to carry what you found in this fellowship to other alcoholics, and you're going to practice the principles that you learn through this process in all of your affairs. And that's what I was tasked with, and that's what I've been trying to do to the best of my ability for the last 21 years. Some days uh, more successfully than others, but I'll tell you what, that was the beginning, was the beginning of a whole new life for me. And little by little, that hole began to fill from the inside. Instead of me always grasping, looking for you or this or that or something on the outside to take care of that sense of incompleteness. The selfishness 
began to disappear. I wish I could say today that it was gone entirely, but I know that there's people that would dispute that. Fortunately, my wife wasn't able to make it because I can get away with a few exaggerations. She, she won't call me on it, but I, I wish I could say, you know, that, that today that I, I stand before you as, as, as white as the wind-driven snow, but that certainly isn't true. I do know beyond the shadow of a doubt that what I have today is uh, contingent on maintaining a fit spiritual condition each day of my life. I do know that after 21 years of sobriety that my biggest enemy is complacency because it's, it's terribly easy to get comfortable when, when life, you know, when you don't have any big deals to deal with. Uh, so it, it's one thing that I have to be very careful of. And the, the, way that, the, the way that I deal with complacency is I stay active in the Fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, my home group's the Unity Group in, in Miles City, Montana. We have, oh, eight, nine, maybe ten members. We have seven meetings a week, and I try to hit uh, as many of those as I can. I stay active in the business side of things. Uh, I started pouring coffee and wiping out ashtrays when I was three months sober. That was another thing my sponsor had me start doing. He said, listen, you need to, you know, if you want to be a part of this thing, you need to be a part of it. So he said, here's the key to the Sunday night meeting. You need to get here a half hour early, get the coffee made, make sure the ashtrays are out, because we all, everyone smoked them. And then when the meeting's over with, you clean up those 150 cups, you empty out all those dirty old ashtrays, you sweep the room, you close it up. You know what? I, I thought that was one heck of an honor and a privilege. And it just cemented that sense of, of belonging a little bit more. And a, and a little bit more, that's that, that hole that had permeated me so much kind of shriveled up a little bit and it went away and I didn't realize that, that I was actually doing something unselfishly and and oh after a few months of doing this my sponsor happily pointed that out he says see you are capable of doing something without thought of what are you going to get out of it and the amazing thing of it is Bill is you really get something out of it he said you're going to learn the true meaning that the gift is truly in the giving and, it, and, and the gift isn't necessarily in the getting and he says, you're going to learn to understand over time that the more of yourself that you give, the more that's going to come back to you. And I certainly don't mean that materially or, or anything on the, on the exterior. The gift that's come back to me is, is, again, that sense of wholeness, that sense of completeness. Uh, I'm finally living the, live, uh, the leave it to beaver dream, you know. With, with a few little twists that they didn't throw in on the TV program. You know, we have our moments. I have two wonderful boys at home. One is 16 and the other is 14. I would like to think that we have the kind of relationship that I wish that I would have had with my father. Uh, they still like to come. This great big, this, my 16-year-old is a monster. Every night he comes and tucks Dad in, lays down next to me, gives me a kiss. We have... 15 minutes, you know, they're both boys are there in bed with uh, Louise and I, and we talk about life, and we talk about what's been going on, and and uh, Ryan gives me a kiss, and Sean gives me a kiss, and uh, I tell you what, you know, that would never have been possible without what I found through the Fellowship of, of Alcoholics Anonymous. It would not have been possible for the, the, the loving God that this fellowship led me to and the relationship that I have with that higher power today. Uh, I'm a pretty volatile person. I'm Irish, if that's an excuse. When I drank, I was volatile. When I'm sober, I have a tendency to be volatile. Thank God I have a wife who's very forgiving. But even that has been diminished somewhat. And, and uh, 
and I, I can say today, I can say I'm sorry and not have her stand back and say, that's right, you're the sorriest one that I've ever seen. She knows that it's said with, with sincerity. She's, she knows that it's, when I say that I'm sorry, I truly mean that I accept full responsibility for what I did. I'm very, very sorry for whatever it's done to you, and I'm going to try my darndest by applying these principles to my life, never to let it happen again. And little by little through that process, a lot of those things don't happen. We've been married 18 years, which is nothing short of phenomenal for me. I think the best I did before that was six years, and that was, God, how she did that, I'll never know. You know, God love her. Uh, one of the other great gifts that this fellowship has given to me is, as I mentioned, when uh, my ex-wife had kicked me out of the house, I had a daughter who was two years old. And she truly was the light of my life. And, and, and I mean that. Even as a drunk, she meant more to me than almost anything, obviously almost anything, although I still got in the way. And she was a wonderful, wonderful child. She was born with a, a chronic liver ailment called biliary atresia, which is a progressive cirrhosis. Go figure that one, you know. <laughs> I'm, I'm probably the one that deserved that, not her. She had her first surgery when she was... I think eight weeks old down in Salt Lake City and it's called a Kasai what they did is they went in and took her gallbladder out and did some funky things with her liver and anyway she was in and out of hospitals for a long time had it not been for Alcoholics Anonymous had it not been for God's grace I would have never been given the relationship with that little girl that I was given as much as I loved her I loved myself more I can remember before I came to this fellowship having to have her on weekends and, and this, this pains me even today to think about this, but there was a twinge of resentment because she was getting in my way on the weekend. And I loved her. You know, I mean, how, how could those things go on in a man's mind when you, when you love someone so much? But that was where I was. That was the selfishness and the self-centeredness. That was the insanity of alcoholism that, that was driving me. I came to this fellowship and I, and I got sober and that relationship blossomed. I became the father that I always wanted to be. My ex-wife finally did forgive me. She allowed me frequent access, uh, wide open access to my daughter. We spent many, 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 many wonderful moments together. Uh, when she was seven years old, she had gotten so sick that the only option was a transplant. They flew her down to uh, Omaha, Nebraska, and she was uh, transplanted, and she was in the hospital for about six months, and there were a lot of complications, and, and uh, my ex-wife and I traded weeks down there. I'd go for a week, and then she'd go for a week, and I'd go for a week, and she'd go for a week, and my wife at the time would sometimes come down, and it was, it was a wonderful, wonderful thing, not her being sick in that hospital, but the dynamics that evolved in that relationship that allowed that to take place, and it I believe that it was because of her mother's capability of forgiveness and through the grace that God had, had bestowed in my life and my, the ability to become the man that I always wanted to be. She came home uh, just after Christmas, and uh, it was a wonderful... In fact, I play the video every now. I can't play it without tears coming to my eyes, but it was so wonderful when she came home. She had a wonderful, wonderful life. About a week before her... 10th birthday she was staying up at my house I lived out in the country she came up that came home that <clears throat> that night with Louise and she was complaining of a bad stomach ache 
and uh, I was pretty familiar with things that went on and, and uh, I put her in a hot bath and we soaked her and she was still in a lot of pain so I took her into Missoula which is about 30 miles away to the hospital and I said you know this is what's going on the last time this happened there was a fecal impaction maybe you know we ought to do a, a barium dye and take a look at it or or maybe we'll just put her NOP you know and, and keep her off the liquids for the night and we'll see what she's like in the morning but oh seven eight o'clock that morning she came in and got into bed with me and, and she was in tears and she was acting kind of strange and so I got up with her and I went and sat in the living room with her and I had her on my lap and we were rocking back and forth and and uh, she looked up at me and she said, Daddy, I just love you so much. Everything that was Heather's essence left. And I jumped in the car and I made it to Missoula 20 miles in about 10 minutes. And, and they worked on her for about a half an hour. And they said, listen, Bill, there's nothing they can do. And what had happened is because she'd had so many surgeries that uh, she had an adhesion that twisted around a major artery inside and it cut off the blood supply to her, her brain. So essentially she... She uh, slowly, over a period of time, kind of had a stroke, and, and she passed away. I've never in my life, in fact, I, what brought this back was talking to Joe, and he was talked about having lost his daughter. Never in my life had experienced a pain like that. I was nine years sober, ten years sober. I, every fiber of my body screamed out for a drink of alcohol. I wanted just to get drunk just, but I knew, and I thank God for the fellowship, thank God for my dear friends in here. I knew that there, if I had ever picked up that first drink, I could have never stopped. I think that pain was so deep, and that pain was so intense, and it ripped, it just ripped my heart out that I, I don't think I could have, I don't think I could have ever stopped drinking. And I know to this day, I know to this day that that was one of those moments when I was absolutely powerless over alcohol. Absolutely, completely powerless. Willpower had nothing to do with the fact I didn't pick up a drink of alcohol. The only thing that, that spared me was the relationship that I developed with my higher power through this fellowship. And I, I endured. And I was able to finally get to a point to use Heather's death as an opportunity for my spiritual growth. And I I can share that with you guys. I, I want to let you know that there's absolutely nothing you'll experience in your life that you can't go through sober and that you can't come out the other end of it uh, maybe a little maybe a little deeper in, in the relationship with your higher power. I know that I came out of it a better person. That might sound like an odd thing to say. But I know I came away from Heather's death a much better person, and I know I came away from Heather's death... Uh, with a deeper understanding and a, and a greater love of my God than I had ever had. Because that was the only place I had to go. There was absolutely no other solace. And I knew, I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that there was absolutely no solace to be had in a bottle. And I knew that, that if I touched that first drink, that I would never, I, I truly believe this, that I would never ever be able to stop. And I certainly wouldn't be here in front of you tonight. I certainly wouldn't have a 14-year-old and a 16-year-old that tuck me in every night. Uh, I wouldn't be able to live the, the ups and downs of being a parent. I wouldn't be able to live the ups and downs of being uh, a spouse. Uh, I, I wouldn't, I mean, just all the miracles and all the marvelous things that life gives me, I wouldn't have the wonderful opportunity of speaking to 
people like you. And uh, there's not a thing in my life that I've experienced that I'm not grateful for in one way or another. Do I wish... Am I grateful Heather died? Not particularly. Am I grateful for the relationship for the 10 years that we had together? Without question. Without question. My sobriety allowed me to have the relationship with her that... Could you imagine what it would have been like had I continued to drink? And I know what would have happened to that relationship. I would have loved her dearly, but God only knows where I would have been. And I might have called every once in a while to tell her how much I love her. I'd have maybe sent her a card every now and then. And when she would have died, I'd have been devastated. I, I couldn't have lived with myself. Uh, and I can think back on a lot of other things that, that uh, would never have happened in my life. Uh, I've, I've been blessed to have been able to sponsor a lot of people in this fellowship. And every once in a while, you have one come along that really wants this thing as bad as I wanted it. You'll, you'll, you'll get one who just cannot stand that indefinable sense of incompleteness any longer. And they're willing to go to any length and what a joy. You know, some of those people are, you know, they have years of sobriety now, and they're my dearest, deepest, closest friends. Some of them I kind of lost track of, you know, and they, they went their way. And, and every once in a while we'll, we'll cross one another's path. In fact, I had a guy show up in Miles City about two weeks ago who I hadn't seen for 15 years. I thought the guy was dead. He's been sober for like 16 years. And uh, he, he, he and I got together and talked for about an hour and a half and he, he talked about the influence that I'd had on his life and it certainly wasn't me it was God manifesting through me I know that I don't want to take any credit for it but what a blessing to run across those kinds of people what a blessing to know that you know I'll, I'll leave here tonight and I'll drive home and and uh, probably the boys will wake up and come up just to make sure that I made it home okay uh, I just left this is an amazing thing. I just retired from a job that I'd had for 31 and a half years now. How in God's name could somebody drink and keep a job? Because I happened to have a blue-collar job at the time I was drinking, and I was kind of an institutional hero, at least among my peers. I was one of those guys who could drink all night, crawl to work stinking the next morning, and uh, put in his eight hours and go out and do it all over again. And, and uh, Unfortunately, towards the end of my drinking, uh, I found this out later, my employers didn't think that I was such the hero that my peers did, and they were very close to asking me to maybe find employment someplace else. I think it was put to me very appropriately. They said, you were a hard worker, you were a great guy, you just weren't very damn dependable. And uh, I wasn't. I was, uh, in fact, one, one instant I can remember, I called my boss from Amarillo, Texas, and said, Hey, Johnny, I says, I'm on my way to Mardi Gras, and I'll be back in a week. It started out with one of those uh, nights in Missoula down at the local bar in February, and we thought the Mardi Gras sounded like a good idea, so we loaded up, jumped in the car. And by the time we hit Amarillo, Texas, I thought, well, geez, maybe I ought to let them know I'm not going to be to work. And I used to pull those kinds of stunts, and for whatever reason, they kept me on. Uh, fortunately, I've been able to make amends to my employer. I had a good... That's one where a, a, a good sponsor really helps. Uh, when I when I made out my list of people that I'd harmed and, and became willing to make amends to them all, uh, when it came time to make amends to my employer, the way I would have done it would have gone in and said, well, Rusty, I'm an alcoholic and I just got sober. And I haven't been a very good employee. I've got a list here about this long of all the rotten things I've done. 
since uh, I was employed here. And my sponsor told me, he says, no, he says, Bill, that's probably not the best idea. He suggested that maybe what I should do is live sober for a while. Show up sober every morning. Be honest on my time slip. Never complain about having to work extra hours. Be reliable, be dependable, wear a smile, and be a pleasure to work around. He said, you try that for a while, and then maybe you can go sit down with somebody. In fact, he says, try it for a long while. (laughs) And I did. And finally, after about three years, I was able to go in and talk to my boss, and I was able to make the amends, and we were able to work something out that I could pay my employer back. I couldn't do it. I work for uh, government, so it's pretty hard to give them cash back or anything. But we found a way to work things out and uh, gave a lot of extra time and, and, and without a grudge and ha- did it happily. And and, uh, and for the next 20-some years, I was able to carry that attitude of gratitude into my workplace. I was able to show up with a smile on my face, with a positive attitude, there weren't many days that didn't go by when I didn't start my day in that office by saying, you're here to see what you can give, Bill, not here to see what you can get. And because of that, and because of this fellowship, I was able to stay with that employer for 31 and a half years, and I couldn't stand it any longer, so I retired. And uh, now I've moved on to another job. My wife gave me a list of things about that long. And- <laughs> I've just, I've just started at the top. I'm busier now than I ever thought I was going to be. But that, certainly, you know, that's another one of the gifts of this fellowship is, is, is that I'm able to, to enjoy this life. Uh, I've had, I just lost my father not too long ago. Again, that was a difficult thing. Uh, my father and I had a wonderful relationship when I was young. He started drinking again after 13 years of sobriety when I was in high school. It was a horrible, 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 ugly scene. He was a violent, violent drunk, and I hated him. Couldn't wait to get the heck out of the house. Never wanted to see the guy again. Before he died, in fact, the year, the, two, the last two years before he died, he stopped drinking about five years ago for the last time. But the last two years before he died, we were able to sit down and develop the kind of relationship that I have with my sons. I was able to truly forgive him for everything that I thought he had done to me because I understood him a lot more than a lot better because of my own disease and my own recovery. And uh, just a couple of weeks before he died, I was able to go over to Missoula and spend some real quality time with him. But I think the most quality time that we had together was the last 15 minutes we were together, and that was time we had alone. And we said more and did more in that 15 minutes probably than we'd done in a long, long time. And when he passed away, I was able to think back and, and have a smile on my face and, and no regrets and no remorse. And again, that's one of the gifts that I've been given through the Fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous is the ability to make amends, the ability to patch those relationships up, the ability to think about someone else more than I think about myself. Uh, it's, just, it's just been a wonderful, wonderful journey. I see the five-minute lights on. And I really, I really would like to end this with somebody else's words because I find that they're so appropriate. This is from... Uh, the third edition of the big book, and it's a story he sold himself short, and it's on page 295, 296. And it really is a wonderful summation of, of, of my life. It says, This latest part of my life has had a purpose, not in great things accomplished, but in daily living. 
Courage to face each day has replaced the fears and the uncertainties of earlier years. Acceptance of things as they are has replaced the old impatient chomping at the bit to conquer the world. I've tried to stop tilting at windmills and instead have tried to accomplish the little daily tasks, unimportant in themselves, but tasks that are an integral part of living life fully. Where derision, contempt, and pity were once shown me, I now enjoy the respect of many people. Where once I had casual acquaintances, all of whom were fair-weather friends, I now have a host of friends who accept me for what I am. And over my AA years, I have made many real honest sincere friendships that I shall always cherish. I am rated as a modestly successful man. My stock of material goods isn't great. But I have a fortune in friendship, courage, self-assurance, and honest appraisal of my own abilities. Above all, I have gained the greatest thing accorded to any man the love and understanding of a gracious God who has lifted me from the alcoholic scrap heap to a position of trust where I've been able to reap the rich rewards that come from showing a little love for others and from serving them as I can. Thank you.